Welcome to tape number four of Truth, Victory Over Error, or the True Principles of the Christian Religion by David Dixon. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. There is no copyright on this material, and we encourage you to reproduce it and pass it on to your friends. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. And now to our reading of Truth, Victory Over Error by David Dixon, which we pray you find to be a great blessing and which we hope draws you near to the Lord Jesus Christ. Continuing our reading from Truth, Victory Over Error, Chapter 10 of Effectual Calling, Question 4. Is this effectual call of God's free and special grace alone and not from anything at all foreseen in man? Yes. 2 Timothy 2, verse 9, Titus 3, verses 4 and 5, Ephesians 2, 4, 5, 8, and 9. Well then, do not the Papists and Arminians err who maintain that an unregenerate man may, by the strength of nature of his free will, do some good works, nay, oftentimes have actually done such good works, as may prepare him and dispose him for receiving of the grace of God? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because an evil tree cannot bring forth good fruit. Matthew 7, verse 17. Second, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. Romans 8, verse 7. Third, because we have nothing in ourselves which we have not received, whereby we may differ from others. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Fourth, because whatever is not of faith is sin. Romans 14, verse 23. Hebrews 6, verse 6. Fifth, because we are not able of ourselves to think a good thought, but all our sufficiency is of God. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5. Sixth, because before conversion we were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, verses 2 and 5. Seventh, because not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Titus 3, verse 5. Eighth, because we were sometimes, that is, before conversion, darkness. Ephesians 5, verse 8. Ninth, because Christ says, without me you can do nothing. John 15, verse 5. Question 5. Is a man in effectual calling only passive until being quickened and renewed by the Holy Ghost? Is he thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it? Yes. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, Romans 8, verse 7, Ephesians 2, verse 5, John 6, verse 37, John 5, verse 25, 
Ezekiel 36, verse 27. Well then, do not the Papists and Arminians err who maintain that a man in his conversion is not passive but active? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? Before I do this, it is to be observed that when I say a man is passive in his conversion, I do not think he is physically passive as a stock or a stone, while an artist is about to make a statue of them, but morally, or rather spiritually, as a man is spiritually dead, which is a true and real death, though he be naturally living. The first reason by which they are confuted is this, because we are dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, verse 1. Second, because we are the servants of sin until we be made free men by the Son of God, John 8, verses 34 and 36. Third, because we are by nature under the power of Satan and of darkness, Acts 26, verse 18, Colossians 1, verse 13, 2 Timothy 2, verse 26. Because it is God that worketh in us both to will and to do of his good of his own good pleasure Philippians 2 verse 13 fifth because the flesh lusteth against the spirit Galatians 5 verse 17 sixth because the scriptures ascribe that whole work to God and no part of it to man Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 question 6 are elect infants dying in infancy regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit who worketh when and where he pleaseth? Yes. Luke 18, verses 15 and 16, Acts 2, verses 38 and 39, John 3, verse 5, and 1 John 5, verse 12. Well then, do not the Anabaptists err who maintain that no infants are regenerated? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb, Luke 1, verse 15. Second, because the prophet Jeremiah was sanctified from his mother's womb, Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Third, because the promise is made to believing parents and to their children conjunctly, Genesis 17, verse 7, and Acts 2, verse 39. Fourth, because of such, says Christ, is the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 19, verse 14. Fifth, because the apostle calls children, which are descended but of one parent, in covenant with God, holy, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14. Sixth, because God hath promised in the second command that he will show mercy unto thousands that are descended of believing parents, Exodus 20, verse 6. Question 7. Can any not elected, although called by the ministry of the word, and having some common operations of the Spirit, truly come to Christ and so be saved? No. Matthew 22, verse 14. Matthew 7, verse 22. Matthew 13, verse 20 and 21. Hebrews 6, verses 4 and 5. John 6, verses 64, 65, 66. John 8, verse 24. Well then, do not the Arminians err who maintain that there is sufficient grace given to all men for their conversion to whom the gospel is preached? Yes. Do not likewise the Quakers err who maintain that every man hath so much grace given of God as, if he would improve it, would bring him to heaven? Yes. 
by, by what reasons are they confuted? First, because Christ says to his disciples, To you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Matthew 13, verse 11. Second, because it is said of the Jews that they could not believe because God had blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. John 12, verses 39 and 40. Third, because Christ said to his disciples, There are some of you that do not believe. Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. John 6, verses 64 and 65. Fourth, because the prophet Isaiah complains, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Isaiah 53, verse 1. Fifth, because many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew 22, verse 14. Sixth, because men in nature do not discern, neither can they know the things of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Seventh, because the most part of the world are buried in gross darkness and have their understanding darkened and are alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. Ephesians 3, verse 18. Chapter 11 of Justification Question 1. Doth God freely justify those whom he effectually calleth not by infusing righteousness unto them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone? Yes, Romans 9, verse 30, Romans 3, verse 24. Well then, do not the Papists, Sicinians, and Quakers err who maintain that the righteousness whereby we are justified before God is not without us, but within us, and inherent? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because if inherent righteousness did justify us, then good works would justify us, but the Scripture denies this. Romans 3, verse 20. Therefore, says the text, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. And verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. See Romans 4, verse 6, Galatians 2, verse 16, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, and Titus 3, verse 5. In all which places works are secluded or excluded expressly from our justification. Second, because the righteousness whereby we are not justified is not our proper own, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, For he, vis-a-vis God, hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9. And be found in him, not having on mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Third, because we are not justified by the law, Acts 13, verses 38 and 39. Fourth, because our justification is given to us freely. Romans 4, verses 4 and 5. Romans 11, verse 6. Fifth, because our inherent righteousness is imperfect. 1 Kings 8, verse 46. For this scripture says, There is no man that sinneth not. See that parallel parallel place, 1 John 1, verse 8, where it is said, If we say we have no sin, 
we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 6. Because if we were justified by inherent righteousness, we should have matter to boast of, which is contrary to Paul's doctrine. Ephesians 2, verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. 7. Because the righteousness of a Christian man is the justifying of the ungodly. Romans 4, verse 5. Question 2. Does God justify men by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness? No. Romans 4, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19 and 21. Romans 3, 22, 24, 25, 27, 28. Titus 3, verses 5 and 7. Ephesians 1, verse 7. Jeremiah 23, verse 6. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 30 and 31. And Romans 5, verses 17, 18, and 19. Well then, do not the Arminians err who maintain that faith itself and the act of believing is imputed to us for righteousness? Yes. By what reason are they confuted? First, because faith is that by which we receive righteousness. Acts 26, verse 18. Therefore, if it be that by which we receive righteousness, it cannot be righteousness itself, because that which is received is far different and another thing from that whereby we receive it. Second, because we are not justified by inherent righteousness, as is proven evidently against the papists in the last foregoing question, all which reasons do clearly evince that we are justified by the imputation of faith itself, or by the act of believing as our righteousness. Question 3. Is faith, which is the alone instrument of justification, alone in the person justified? No. Is it ever accompanied with all other saving graces, and is no dead faith, but worketh by love? Yes. James 2, verses 17, 22, and 26, and Galatians 5, verse 5. Well then, do not the papists err who maintain that justifying faith may be truly and really separated from love, saving hope, and all the rest of the Christian virtues? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. James 2.26 Second, because faith worketh by love, Galatians 5, verse 6, that is, by showing forth the works of love in us towards God and our neighbor. Third, because faith purifies the heart, Acts 15, verse 9. Fourth, because he that hath faith is in, in Christ, but he that is in Christ bringeth forth much fruit, John 15, verse 5. Fifth, because those who have faith are buried with Christ and walk in newness of life, Romans 6, verse 4, that is, in holiness and purity which accompany faith. Six, because he that saith, I know God, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him, 1 John 2, verse 4. Question 4, did Christ by his obedience and death fully discharge the debt of all those who are thus justified? And did he make a proper, real, and full satisfaction to the Father's justice in their behalf? Yes. Romans 5, verses 8 and 9. 
1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6, Daniel 9, verses 24 through 26, Hebrews 10, verses 10 and 14, and Isaiah 53, verses 4, 5, 6, 10, 11, and 12. Well then, do not the papists err who maintain that Christ hath not made a full satisfaction to divine justice for the sins of those who are justified, and that human satisfaction do in part satisfy the justice of God for sin? Yes. Do not likewise the Socinians err who deny all true and proper satisfaction to Christ's suffering? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the prophet says, He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, was wounded for our transgression, transgressions, was bruised for our iniquities, Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Second, because by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, Hebrews 10, verse 14. Third, because human satisfactions, being finite, can never satisfy in part or in whole the infinite justice of God for the punishment of sin, Job 35, verse 6. Fourth, because he hath blotted out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Colossians 2, verse 14. Fifth, because there is nothing more frequent in Scripture than that Christ was a propitiation for our sins. Romans 3, verse 25. Sixth, because Christ says, I lay down my life for my sheep, and no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. John 10, verses 15 and 18. Seven, because the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew 20, verse 28, 1 Timothy 2, verse 6, Ephesians 5, verse 2, Galatians 3, verse 13, Revelation 5, verse 9, 1 John 2, 2. Question number five. Are the elect justified until the Holy Spirit in due time actually apply Christ to them? No. Colossians 1 verses 21 and 22, Timothy 3, excuse me, Titus 3 verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. Well then, do not the antinomians err who maintain that the elect are justified from eternity or when the price of redemption was paid? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because all that are justified have been strangers and enemies to God and children of wrath. Ephesians 2, verse 3, Colossians 1, 21, Titus 3, 3, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 10 and 11. Second, because none are justified until they believe in Christ. Galatians 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. Question 6. Can those who are justified by reason of their sins fall under God's fatherly displeasure and not having the light of his countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance? Yes. Psalm 89, verses 31, 32, and 33. Psalm 32, verse 5. 
Psalm 51, verses 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, and Matthew 26, verse 75, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30 and 32. Well then, do not the antinomians err who maintain that God's love and favor towards those that are once justified cannot consist with his anger and chastisement towards them? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because Christ says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Revelation 3, verse 19. Second, because David was chastened for his adultery and murder. 2 Samuel 12, verse 10. Third, because the Lord says, If my children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, then I will visit their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Psalm 89, verses 30 and 31. Fourth, because God was provoked with the sins of the Corinthians for which he punished them. 1 Corinthians 10, 22 and 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30. Question 7. Is the justification of believers under the Old Testament one and the same in all respects with the justification of believers under the New Testament? Yes. Galatians 3, verses 9, 13, and 14. Romans 4, verses 22 and 23. Hebrews 8, verses 8. Verse 8. Well then, do not the Socinians err who maintain that the manner of justification is not one and the same under both the Testaments. Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because Abraham was justified by faith in Christ. Genesis 15, verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. That is, God of his mere grace held him righteous and justified that had no righteousness in himself, whereby to subsist and stand before his justice and that through faith in his promises and in the promised mediator. Second, because Isaiah teaches that both himself and other believers were justified by the knowledge of Christ. Chapter Isaiah 53, verse 11. Third, because the Holy Ghost expressly testifies that Christ died for the believers under the Old Testament. Hebrews 9, verse 15. Fourth, because the justification of believing Jews under the Old Testament and believers under the new are compared between themselves as equal. Acts 15, verse 11. Chapter 12 of Adoption. Question 1. Are those who are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God and have his name put upon them and receive the spirit of adoption, are they, I say, ever cast off? No. Are they sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation? Yes. Lamentations 3, verse 3, Ephesians 4, verse 30, 1 Peter 1, verse 5. Well then, do not the Lutherans err who maintain that the children of God, some of them, may be cast off for a time totally, though not finally? Yes. Do not likewise the Arminians, Quakers, and Socinians err who maintain that those who have received the grace of adoption may be cast off totally and finally? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because all the children of God are kept through faith unto salvation. 1 Peter 1, verse 5. Second, because Christ hath prayed for the perseverance of all believers. John 17, verse 20. 
John 11, verse 26. And all those that are adopted are the children of God by faith. Galatians 3, verse 26. Third, because no man that is born again, as are all the children of God, doth sin. That is, he suffers not sin to reign over them, for his seed remaineth in him. That is, God's seed, whereby he is born again, namely the word of God. 1 Peter 1, 23. John 3, verses 5 and 6, remaineth in him, that is, doth not totally perish, but abideth thence forward, working the fruits of regeneration once begun in them. Philippians 1, 6, see also 1 John 3, verse 9. Fourth, because all the children of God request the Father by the Son, that he may grant them perseverance to salvation. Matthew 6, verse 13, which perseverance is most needful to them for that end. Matthew 24, verse 13, but believers, when they seek things needful to salvation in the name of Christ, according to his promise, are always heard. John 14, verse 13 and 14, John 16, verse 23. Fifth, because the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Romans 9.29 6. Because all those who are justified are glorified. Romans 8.30 But those who are adopted are endowed with faith and are justified. Galatians 3.26 7. Because Christ keepeth all his adopted ones, that none can pluck them out of his hand or his father's hand. John 10 verses 27 and 28 and 29. 8. Because perseverance is a gift promised by God to all the elect in the covenant of grace. Ezekiel 36 verses 26, 27, and 28. Jeremiah 31 verses 32 and 33. 9. Because justifying grace is a well of water springing up into everlasting life in every man to whom it is given. John 4 verse 14 and the saints are like unto trees planted by the rivers of water which bring forth their fruits in due season Psalm 1 verse 3 chapter 13 of sanctification question 1 are they who are effectually called and regenerated having a new spirit created in them farther sanctified really and personally through virtue of Christ's death and resurrection by his word and spirit dwelling in them? Yes. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, Acts 20, verse 32, Philippians 3, verse 10, Romans 6, verses 5 and 6, John 17, verse 17. Well then, do not the antinomians err who maintain that those who are justified are sanctified only by the imputed holiness of Christ, not by infused infusing inherent holiness or any spiritual qualities in them by the help of which they are enabled to live holy? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the Apostle says, Follow peace and holiness with all men, without which no man shall see God. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Second, because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, and faith. Galatians 5, verse 22. Third, because they who are in Christ bring forth good fruit. John 15, verse 5. Fourth, because they who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh 
with the affections and lust. Galatians 5, verse 24 and 25. Fifth, because the apostle commands us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2, verse 12. Six, because we ought to purify ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Seventh, because we ought to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter verse, uh, 3, verse 18. Eight, because the Lord circumcises the heart of the elect, that they may love the Lord their God, and taketh away the heart of stone. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. Question 2. Is sanctification imperfect in this life, there being some remnants of corruption abiding in every part? Yes. 1 John 1, verse 10. Romans 7, verse 18 and 23. Psalm 3, verse 12. Well then, do not the antinomians and many of the Quakers err, who maintain that those who are justified are perfectly sanctified? Yes. Do not likewise the Papists, Socinians, and Anabaptists err, who maintain the same but differ in the manner? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? But first consider that the antinomians defend that the most perfect holiness of Christ is imputed to us and is made ours, there being no inherent holiness in us nor required of us. But the Papists... Socinians, Quakers, and Anabaptists affirm and maintain a perfect inherent holiness in this life. They are confuted. First, because there is no man that sinneth not. 1 Corinthians 8, excuse me, 1 Kings 8, verse 46. Second, because if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1, verse 8. Third, because in many things we offend all. James 3, verse 2. Fourth, because there is not a just man upon the earth that doth good and sinneth not. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20. Fifth, because we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Isaiah 64, verse 6. Sixth, because the psalmist prayeth that God would not enter into judgment with him, for in thy sight, says he, shall no man be justified. Psalm 143, verse 2. Seventh, because no man can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin. Proverbs 20, verse 9. Eighth, because the apostle complains heavily concerning indwelling sin. Romans 7, verses 18 and 23. Ninth, because the saints are obliged to seek pardon of sin every day. Matthew 6, verse 12. Tenth, because the Lord says, He that is holy, let him be holy still. Revelation 22, verse 11. This ends side one. Please turn the tape over and continue listening on side two. Chapter 14 of Saving Faith. Question 1. Is the grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts? Yes. Hebrews 10:39, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 13, Ephesians 1, 17, 18, and 19. Well then, do not the Pelagians err who maintain faith to be a thing natural, 
who attribute the being thereof to ourselves and to the strength of our corrupt nature? Yes. Do not likewise the Armenians err, who though they grant faith to be the gift of God, yet they deny faith to be given according to the precise will of God for the saving of some men? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, I confute the Pelagians, for Christ says, No man can come to me, that is, believe, unless the Father that hath sent me draw him. John 6, verse 44. Second, because the Apostle says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Philippians 1, verse 29. Third, because that which is natural is proper to all, but all men have not faith. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 2. Fourth, because faith is reckoned upon among the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, verse 22. Fifth, because the very desire itself of believing is from God and not from ourselves. Philippians 2, verse 13. Sixth, because Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12, verse 2. By what reasons do you confute the Arminians? First, because faith is given to the elect only and to such as are ordained to eternal life. Titus 1, 1, Acts 13, verse 48. Second, because he that believes shall be saved. Mark 16, verse 16. Excuse me, Mark 16, verse 16. John 3, verse 15, 16, 18, and 36. Third, because God wills precisely the glorifying of all those whom he justifies. Romans 8, verse 30. But they who have faith are justified. Romans 5, verse 1. Fourth, because God wills precisely the glorifying of all those whom he inwardly and efficaciously calleth. Romans 8, verse 30. But all that believe in him are powerfully called. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 verse 13 and 14. Fifth, because all the children of God are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8, verse 17. But how many soever believe in his name, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. John 1, verse 12. Question 2. Is faith the fruit of Christ's purchase? Yes. Titus 3, verse 5 and 6. Titus 2, verse 14, Ezekiel 36, verse 5 and 26. Well then, do not the Arminians err who deny faith and other saving graces to be Christ's purchase or the fruits of his death? Yes. Do not likewise others of the same kind err who granting the gift of believing not to flow from man's free will or from any sufficient grace bestowed on all maintain that it flows from God's sovereign good will thinking fit to bestow that gift upon some whom he hath elected, and not upon others, without respect to the merits of Christ's death? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because if this be all that Christ hath purchased by his death, that God might save fallen man upon condition he believe, then Christ might attain his end in dying, and yet not one soul be saved by his death. Second, because it makes Christ a title Savior only, purchasing salvation to all without any full and certain intention of applying it to any. Third, 
because it is promised to Christ, the mediator, as a satisfaction to him for his sufferings, that not only many through faith in him shall be justified, but that certainly he shall see his seed and the fruit of his soul. Isaiah 55, verse 10. Fourth, because the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, under which all particular graces may be comprehended, are said to be shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ. Titus 3, verses 5 and 6. Fifth, because the Lord hath promised to remove from us the heart of stone and to give us a new heart, to cleanse us from all our idols, and to wash us with clean water, but these promises are in one bundle with the promises of his pardoning our iniquity and remembering our sins no more. Ezekiel 36, verse 25 and 26. Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34. Six, because Christ is made unto us wisdom, sanctification, and redemption, no less than righteousness, under which faith and all saving graces needful to the working out of our, sa- our salvation are comprehended. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 30 and 31. Seventh, because we are said to be blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, verse 3 which by his merit are communicated to us. And is not faith and saving grace to be accounted among the spiritual blessings? Eighth, because it is not a mere possibility of redemption, but actual redemption that the saints in heaven praise and extol Christ. For Revelation 5, 9, and 12. An Arminian cannot well sing a part of this song while he thinks in his heart he is more beholden to the Lamb for his redemption than Cain and Judas. Question 3. Doth a Christian by faith believe whatsoever is revealed in the Word for the authority of God speaking therein? Yes. John 4.42, 1 John 5.10, Acts 24.14, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Well then, do the papists err who commend and extol implicit faith and who define faith rather by the ignorance than by knowledge? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and therefore there can be no faith without knowledge. Romans 10, verse 17. Second, because all believers are taught of God. Isaiah 54, verse 13. John 6, verse 45. Third, because Christ says, This is life eternal to know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. John 17, verse 3. Fourth, because the prophet Isaiah saith, By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. Isaiah 53, verse 11. Question 4. Are the principal acts of saving faith, accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace? Yes. John 1, verse 12. Acts 14, verse 31. Galatians 2, 20. Acts 4, 11. Excuse me. Acts 15, verse 11. Well then, do not the papists err who maintain faith to be nothing but a naked assent to the truth revealed in the word, it being placed by them in the understanding only? Yes. 
do not likewise the Sassinians err, who put no difference between faith and the obedience of works? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because to believe is to receive Christ, which is an act of the will. John 1, verse 12. Second, because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For faith is a firm ground or a firm confidence, that is, which causes to subsist or stand firm the things which are promised by God in Christ, and which therefore are expected by hope, which is not done only by an assent to God's promises in our understanding, but also by trusting to the same in our will. I say, faith is a firm ground of the things which are hoped for, and an argument of things not seen. Or a conviction, in Greek, for faith representing God's revelation and promise, convinceth and assureth the heart of man more strongly of the truth of a thing than any other argument brought from natural reason can do. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Third, because we are justified before God by faith. Romans 5, verse 1. But we are not justified by a bare and naked assent to the truth, Otherwise, the devil should be justified. James 2, verse 19. Neither are we justified by the Sassinians' faith, which is everywhere condemned in Scripture. Romans 3, verse 20 and 28. Galatians 2, verse 16. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Philippians 3, verse 9. And Titus 3, verses 4 and 5. Chapter 15 of Repentance. Question 1. Is repentance unto life an evangelical grace, the doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel, as well as that of faith in Christ? Yes, Ezekiel 12, verse 10, Acts 11, verse 18, Luke 24, verse 47, Mark 1, verse 15, Acts 20, verse 21. Well then, do not the antinomians err? who maintain that repentance is not an evangelical grace and that it ought not to be preached by any minister of the gospel, seeing it leads us away from Christ and is many ways hurtful and dangerous to us? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because God hath promised in the covenant of grace that he will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, which shall cause Christians under the gospel to repent and mourn for their sins. Zechariah 12, verse 10. Second, because repentance is numbered among the saving graces, which shall be bestowed and conferred upon converts under the gospel, and is sometimes put for the whole conversation, conversion I'm sorry, of a man to God. Acts 11, verse 15, 16, 17, and 18. Third, because the ministers of the gospel ought to instruct those with meekness who oppose themselves if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement, to the acknowledging of the truth. 2 Timothy 2.25. Fourth, because repentance from dead works is among the principles of the doctrine of Christ and is a foundation which ought to be laid before the hearers of the gospel can go on unto perfection. I say, laid by the ministers of the gospel, Hebrews 6, verse 1. 
Fifth, because Christ himself appointed repentance no less to be preached through the world than remission of sins. Luke 24, verse 47. Sixth, because Christ and his apostles preached repentance no less than faith. Mark 1, verse 15. Matthew 3, verse 2. Nay, the whole sum of the gospel is placed in preaching faith and repentance. Acts 20, verse 20 and 21. Question 2. Doth a sinner, namely by repentance, out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins, as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God, and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ, to such as are penitent, so grieve for and hate his sins, as to turn from them all unto God? Yes. Ezekiel 18, verse 30, Ezekiel 36, verse 31, Isaiah 30, verse 22, Jeremiah 31, verse 18 and 19, Joel 2, verses 12 and 13, Amos 5, verse 15, Psalm 119, 6, 59, and 106. Well then, do not the antinomians err, who maintain we ought not by repentance to hate our sins, to mourn for them, and turn from them to God, but only to believe that Christ in our stead and for us hath repented? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because repentance, being a turning from our sins and evil ways, and turning to God, and Christ, being without sin, could not be capable to repent in our stead. 1 Kings 8, verse 35, Hebrews 7, verse 26 and 27, Joel 2, verses 12 and 13. Second, because they that repent confess their sins and are grieved for them, Ezra 10, verse 1, Mark 14, verse 72, they hate their sins, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 11, they are ashamed and confounded for them, Jeremiah 31, verse 19. Third, because repentance is a sorrow after a godly manner in the same very persons that repent, wrought by God by the preaching of the word. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9, Acts 11, verse 18. Fourth, because repentance is called a rending, renting of the heart. Joel 1, verse 12, and they that repent hate and loathe themselves for their abominations. Ezekiel 36, verse 31. They are ashamed and confounded, Jeremiah 31, verse 19. They are grieved and pricked in their reins, Psalm 73, verse 21. Fifth, because God promising repentance to the people of the Jews, being converted to Christ after their backsliding, says, I will pour out unto the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. Zechariah 12, verse 10. And he shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. But is any man so foolish as to affirm that when a man doth mourn for his firstborn, he believes only that another man hath mourned in his stead? 6. Because faith is one thing, and repentance, specially so-called, is another thing. Mark 1, 15, Acts 20, verse 21, Hebrews 11, verse 6. 
in which places faith and repentance are numbered two diverse things. And it is evident likewise that faith is the cause of repentance, not, but nothing can be the cause of itself. Do not likewise the papists err who maintain that we are not by repentance converted from our sins to God, which they only make an inducement or quality fitting and disposing us for conversion and meriting it, which say they consist in heart contrition, mouth confession, absolution, and satisfaction. But the, by the first they have heart sorrow for sin. By the second they confess their sins to the priest. By the third, which can be no part of repentance, seeing it is not a thing done by the sinner, they are absolved by the priest from their sins. By the fourth, they make satisfaction for former sins in performing some good work willingly undertaken or enjoined by the priest after absolution, as fasting, chastening of their bodies, pilgrimages, and hearing of many masses. Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the word of God asserts no meritorious work in us to go before our conversion, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Titus 3, verses 4, 5, and 6. Second, because the only merit of Christ is the meritorious cause of our conversion. Hebrews 9, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Third, because true repentance is the infallible antecedent and forerunner of life. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. Acts 11, verse 18. And they who truly repent have all their sins pardoned. Acts 2.38 and Acts 3 verse 19. Nay, repentance is a piece of the exercise of the life of grace here and worketh unto life and salvation hereafter, but of no foregoing disposition or qualification previous to repentance can these foresighted places of Scripture be understood. Fourth, because repentance and turning to God are sometimes put for the same thing, and the prophets, while they study to excite and stir up the people to repentance, they signify it by the word conversion and turning to God. Acts 11, verse 15, 16, and 18, and 21. Joel 2, verses 12 and 13. Ezekiel 18, 31 and 32. Fifth, because whatsoever goes before our conversion to God, it cannot be of faith, and therefore it must displease God. Romans 8, verse 8, and 14, verse 23. But true repentance is of faith, and God delighteth in it. Jeremiah 31, verse 18, 19, and 20. 6. Because in very many places of Scripture, repentance is described by a departing from evil and a turning to God. Isaiah 1, 16, and 17. Isaiah 55, verse 7. Psalm 34, verse 14. Hosea 6, verse 1. 7. Because heart contrition, mouth confession, and satisfaction for former sins, which they call penance, as they are explained by the papists, may be found in hypocritical repentance, as is evident from the example of Judas and Ahab. Matthew 27, verse 4, 5, and 6, and 1 Kings 21, verse 27. 
There may be true evangelical repentance without confession of the mouth made to a priest and without penance. If the mouth and heart confess to God only, it is sufficient unless there be a public scandal committed against the church of God. As for absolution, it can be no part of repentance, for it is not a thing done by a sinner, but, as I said, conferred by the priest. Question 3. Is repentance to be rested on as any satisfaction for sin or cause of the pardon thereof? No. Ezekiel 31, 13, and 32. Ezekiel 16, verse 61, 62, and 63. Well then, do not the papists err who maintain that repentance is a satisfaction for sins vis-a-vis an imperfect satisfaction and that it deserves the mercy of God and pardon of sin? Yes. But by what reasons are they confuted? First, because Christ did satisfy the justice of God to the full, and it is blood only that purges us from all sin. Isaiah 53, verses 4, 5, 6, 8, and 11. 1 John 1, verse 7. Second, because to satisfy for sin is a part of the priestly office of Christ, which cannot be communicated to any. Hebrews 2, verse 17, compared with Hebrews 7, verses 23 and 24. Third, because the Lord pardoneth our sins, not for our sake, but for his own sake. Isaiah 53:25, Ezekiel 36, 25, 31, and 32. Fourth, because pardon of sin is an act of free favor of God. Hosea 14, verse 2. Ephesians 1 verse 7 but it but if it be of the free favor of God then it is no more of works and repentance as a satisfaction for sin Romans 11 verse 6 question 4 is there any sin so great that it will bring damnation upon those who truly repent no Isaiah 54 verse 7 Romans 8 verse 1 Isaiah 1, 16 and 18. Well then, do not the Novatians, that's N-O-V-A-T-I-A-N-S, Anabaptists and Puritans called Cathari, that's K-A-T-H-A-R-I, error, who maintain that if any after baptism and grace received fall into grievous sins, offend willingly, there is no pardon remaining for them even though they should repent. Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because God, under the law, appointed daily sacrifices, even for sins that were committed willingly. Numbers 28, verse 3, Leviticus 6, verse 1, to the 8th verse. Second, because God, in the covenant of grace, has promised that he will not utterly take from them with whom he is in covenant his loving kindness, even though they have broken his statutes and not kept his commandments. Psalm 89, verses 30, 31, and 32. Third, because God invites the Galatians and Corinthians, who were guilty of apostasy and of very many gross scandals, to repentance from the hope of pardon. Galatians 3, verse 1, and Galatians 1, verse 6, and Galatians 4, verse 19. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 11 and 12, and 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1, 2, 7, 8. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 21. Fourth, 
because the Apostle John says, Even to such as have sinned willingly after baptism and grace received, if we truly repent and confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. 1 John 1 verse 9. See also chapter 2 verse 12. Fifth, because David, after murder and adultery, and Peter, after denying his master, obtained pardon when they repented. 2 Samuel 12 verse 13 and John 21 verse 9. Therefore there remaineth pardon to such as, after baptism and grace received, have fallen and repented. This ends tape number four of Truth's Victory Over Error by David Dixon. Please go to the next tape in the series and continue listening. Thank you. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources as well as SWRB's complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. This book, Truth's Victory Over Error by David Dixon, is also available from Stillwater's Revival Books in softcover format at a discount in our A to Z author listing. And please don't forget to look over the 62 CDs that make up our Reformation and Puritan bookshelf CD sets if you visit our website at swrb.com, as these CDs are a great way to build a major reform library at a fraction of the cost of the printed books.